So good morning, Eastside family. We want to welcome you today. And before we get it started, first of all, take your Bibles and go ahead and be turning to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And as we are turning there, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is the offering that you bring to the Lord. You've been so incredibly faithful in that, and so just to let you know, there's four ways we make it possible. You can mail a check to the church address, you can give an automatic draft through your bank, you can go online to our website, eastsidesprings.com, there's a little box there, says give, couldn't be easier than that. Or if you're in person, there's a box right there, you better hurry because it's getting ready to get counted. You will still take it after you leave too. So, And to those of you who are not here in person, you are still here with us. We love you and uh, we're humbled and we're absolutely honored to have you with us live stream. And that means the world. And honestly, I'm looking out and seeing a lot of faces that I have not met before. I've tried to meet a few of you. But anyways, to those of you who are here for the first time or guests, we're delighted to have you here. Um, I would love to get to know you and talk to you more. But today... Right now, maybe I'm having a grandchild being born in Dallas. And so if we can get this preacher to keep it short, he's going to be driving the speed limit <laughs> on his way to Dallas. So if you don't like today's sermon, you're not going to be able to catch me. Sorry. Talk to one of the elders. If you like it, just send me a text message though, all right? Hey, listen, we have a, a wonderful absolutely wonderful women's ministry and they wanted me to let you know that they um, man a booth the women's ministry mans a booth they uh, oversee a booth right back there they're going to be standing back there they have a couple of um, survey pieces of paper they would love you to come they want you to be involved this is a way of you helping you get involved and so if you fit into the category of a woman in the woman's ministry, or would like to be in that, we'd love for you to go back there and get one of, talk to them and, and get one of these. Joshua chapter 6, we're following the story of, of God's people. In the Bible, they're called the Israelites, and we're following it in the Old Testament, but the Bible's divided into two sections, and I'm not assuming everybody understands that, Old Testament and New Testament. And so we're following the story in the book of Joshua. And our objective is just to learn some valuable life lessons. And this book is filled with them. And so we're entering their story today. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt. After 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. They've crossed the Jordan River. They're home. Finally. They've entered the land that God has promised them. And so now it's time for them to take the land and to settle the land. They are, as we talked about last week, they are poised for battle. And what we're going to notice in the, in the book of Joshua, it's not just random stuff going on here. It's God-led strategy. They're going to come in the middle of the land. That's where their attack will begin first. And then we're going to follow them on a southern campaign and then into a northern campaign. And the first city that they're going to take is the city of Jericho. And the inhabitants of Jericho realize this. So in chapter 6 and verse 1, we read, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none 
came in. They're anticipating, imagine this, a siege upon this city. Historians and archaeologists tell us that Jericho was the oldest city in the world. It was, a, it was a fortress. It was a, it was a military outpost with impregnable walls. They had a set of, of interior walls and a set of exterior walls. Historians and archaeologists, digs that occurred in the early 1900s, will tell you that they discovered that with these walls, you could ride a chariot across the top of the walls. If you were to stand at the base of the walls and look up from the ground up, you would be looking up some seven stories. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 28, you remember the story how the spies went in on a reconnaissance mission. It was some 40 years ago. Of this city and of Canaan, they wrote these words. They said, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, listen to this, with walls up to the sky. Now, I want you to understand that if you've ever watched VeggieTales, it's not like that. Great show. But the people of Jericho are not these cute little sweet peas standing on top of the wall. These are the renowned Anakites. These are giant people with a huge wall city. Listen, the city of Jericho represents, it's a picture of an impossibility in your life that God is calling you to face and to conquer in order for you to move forward in your life and in your faith. And it may be your city of Jericho, it could be your anger. It could be an addiction that you're battling with. It could be pornography. It could be lust. It could be some sexual behavior. It could be that you're consumed with greed materialism it could be your mouth that's a wall impregnable to control it could be a sinful habit it could be fear and insecurity it could be as we talked about last week past mistakes past failures or past hurts that someone caused to you that have just shackled you for years it could be as some of you are standing before a financial wall of impossibility Or it could be a marital wall of impossibility. It could be unforgiveness and a grudge that you can't get out of your heart. It just seems impossible. It could be something as you look to your future that's unbearable. It could be a job. It's something that is so huge and it's been around for so long. It's just a way of life. And you've accepted it because you realize there's nothing you can do about it. And God is now saying it's time for that wall to come down. But how? (laughs) How do you face and bring down walls of impossibility? Of the insurmountable walls the Israelites were facing, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, as the New Testament is looking back on this story in the Old Testament, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. What does that mean? 
How does that work? How does faith work to bring down walls of impossibilities in our lives? I'm sure there's a lot of answers to that question. I'm sure there's a lot you can glean from this story. I want you to do that in your life groups. I'm just going to share with you three things that just stood out to me that I couldn't get rid of and said, okay, that's what the sermon is going to be composed of today. Three truths. First of all, I found that walls of impossibility come down by grace through faith. Now, I understand that's almost like a religious cliche. That is church language, grace and faith. So let me try to explain to you what I mean by that because it's really strong here in this story. Grace is what God does. Faith is what you do. And so there has been, I'm telling you, from the time of the early church, you see it in the New Testament letters, there's been a tension between these two principles. A tension you see in the days of the Reformation. You see it even today. This tension between, between is it what God does or is it what I do? Is it only God that saves us? Is it just his work or is there something I'm called to do? Do I have a free will to choose? Do I have a role in this at all? Do I have a part to play? Or is it fully the sovereignty of God, only what God does, with nothing that, that I should or can do? It's all God. And, and as you see this debate from the beginning of the church until now, it's almost as though these two truths are pitted against one another as either it's one or the other. When you see in Scripture, they are... They are complementary they work together and this story perfectly shows that let me show you notice in verses 2 and 3 and the Lord said to Joshua see I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and mighty men of valor that's grace it's God saying I'm doing for you. No, I'm not doing. I have done for you what you could never do. And here, did you notice, it is so certain that before it happens, it's stated in the past tense as though it's already done. Long before any of the Israelites got up and stepped out of their tent to go into battle, the victory was already theirs. It was given to them. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And that should give us courage to know when we step into whatever the battle is, it's already won. That's grace. It's given. A gift freely given. But then notice what he says in this verse. He says, the Lord said, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city so there's faith that's our part it's already been given but you have to take it and I stopped last year when I was working in my mornings through Joshua and I opened up my journal and I wrote these words of that that I wonder how many things are there that God has given me that I have never taken because of fear instead of faith now I want you to notice something In this story, we're going to see that the walls, they didn't just come down on their own. 
They didn't fall until the Israelites first marched around them. Same thing we saw, remember, with the crossing of the Jordan River. The waters of the river weren't held back until they, by faith, stepped into the river. You do what you can, and God will do what you can't. I don't understand. Have you said this before? I've heard it, and I've said it. I don't understand why God isn't doing something about this in my life. Well, maybe it's because you're not marching, and it's because you're sitting around on your chair waiting for Him to do something. I'm just going to, and you hear this even in the religious world, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to believe that these walls have fallen. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray the falling of these walls into my heart. I'm going to wait until God moves to bring down these walls. And once he does, I'm going to move. Well, let me ask you something. How long have you been waiting How long have you been waiting on God to do something when God is waiting on you to take a step of faith? Oh, if God would only do something, and I just wonder if in heaven he's not looking upon us and say, if you would only do something. Well, what do you, what do, you do? March? <laughs> what does that mean? How do you march? I don't know what to do. So let, let me be, ask you this, and let's be honest. Because often it's really not that we don't know what to do. Is it that you don't know what to do? Or that's an excuse you're using to hide behind your concern because you're afraid? Maybe lazy, or maybe procrastinating. And I thought that up because it's very personal to me. And here, here what you got to understand the story, God clearly, he didn't just leave to them figure out, he says, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to take your priest and I want them to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and I want them to start carrying it around the walls and I want you to accompany them with seven other priests and they're to take the the, and this is the Hebrew word there. I'm pretty sure it's the Hebrew word. I know this is the instrument they were using. It was a shofar. There were two trumpets they had. One was the call to war, the call to battle, the call to arms. That's not the trumpet here. It was a shofar, which was a, a trumpet for celebration. Before they went to battle, they are to sound the, sound the trumpet of celebration. They're celebrating victory as they begin. I want you to take seven priests with the seven shofars. I want you to take... Your, your priest and also carry with the armed men, carry the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to march around those walls every day for six days, once a day. And I want you to do it, listen to this, this is interesting, in total silence. If you'd been on the wall looking down, that would have been creepy. But then you got these guys playing their trumpets. I want you to do that every day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to do it. Seven times march, and then after seven times, I want you to shout, for the Lord has given you 
the victory. That's what they were told to do. Now you read the story. I'm not reading it all. I've given that to you in your life groups. You can do it on your own. As you read the story, you see what God told them to do is exactly what they did. There was no, I wonder what God wants me to do. There was clarity on that. It was just a matter of their obedience. And as they stepped out in obedience to God, the walls fell. Here's the point. Insurmountable walls of impossibility fall by grace through faith. God does his part. We do our part. They go hand in hand. There's no tension between the two. Well, did their marching knock down the walls? Did it create this earthquake type shaking? Of course not. The walls fell down because of the power of God to work miraculously in their lives. But was their obedient marching necessary? Yes. And so is yours. Secondly, walls of impossibility fall. I know there's a preacher who could probably come up with a more, the cooler way of saying this. By God's way, and I would prefer to say not our way, it comes, but I'd rather say your. It's, it's God's way, not your way. So we got a lot of military guys here, and I'd like for them to tell me, um, don't catch me after the sermon, I'll be gone. But I wonder what person in the military, what commander would say, this is the way you take a city. That's right, man. You get your preachers out, get a golden box with a bunch of your religious relics, put them in the box, get your worship team with a bunch of instruments, and have them march around the city. That, that, that would be a foolish battle strategy today and it certainly was then here's why I really want to bring this point out because if there had been a problem with me in this story it would have been right here I would have been absolutely embarrassed to follow that command and the reason is I have a fear I'm afraid of what others will think and say of me. If my elders came up to me and said, God told us he wants all the ministers of this church, every one of you, I want you to get a couple of poles, I want you to get a golden box, I want you to put the communion set inside that box, I want you to get a, a, a Bible, and I want you to get a few other of our religious items, and I want you to march around this city carrying that box in total silence while Matt is playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. That's weird. I'm not doing that. They'll make fun of us. <laughs> They'll laugh and say, would you look at those weird religious fanatics? You see, God's way to the world, and it's not just to the world, but God's way to us is sometimes awkward. It's uncomfortable. And so what we do is, rather than saying, God, I'm trusting you, we readjust things. And we follow the world's way of doing things or we follow the comfortable way of our doing our own things. And as a result, we as Christians and followers of Jesus in a church, we lose our impact in the world. God's solution for our life problems, they're different than our solutions. Our culture laughs at a single man 
or a single woman who chooses to remain sexually pure until marriage. That's silly. Our culture ridicules those who stand for the lives of the unborn. That's nonsense. Our culture ridicules those who stand for the biblical sanctity of marriage. To forgive and to let go of a grudge. Are you kidding me? That's a sign of weakness. It is weird. It's unusual not to go deeper and deeper in debt. To buy more and more to keep up with those around you and to make your impression with those around you instead of being content as the world tells us. That's just kind of weird. Who would live like that? It's strange to our world when someone says, no, we're going to church instead. God's going to be first. Who gets that? A young person is mocked when they said, I can't go to that party. That's silly. I'm, I cannot go with you to watch that movie that's unwholesome. That is nonsense. A girl is considered prudish who chooses to dress modestly instead of flaunting her body for the sake of being attractive. Such marching around walls is just nonsense. It's, it's unpleasant to be laughed at to be ridiculed and criticized as others look down upon us from the walls of the world. In the story of the prophet Isaiah and the people of his day, they were defeated because they had chosen their own way. In the midst of that, God through Isaiah writes these words, speaks these words that are written for us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Could it be the reason for your spiritual stagnation? Could it be the reason for your continued defeat that you face day after day as you keep trying to follow your own way day after day? after day and it's just not working it's as foolish as it may seem insurmountable walls of impossibility come down when we yield our lives to his will and to his way and say God I'm, I'm, I'm just going to trust you I, I don't like the idea of it it feels strange but you're God so there's one final truth, and it's a really hard truth, but it's, it like, it's half the chapter, and I would be unfaithful to leave it out. And again, there might be a cooler way to give this point some words, but it's the truth I see of judgment and salvation. It might seem... And maybe if you've heard the story, and of course growing up, you just can't give all the gory details perhaps. But it might seem that this story ends with the falling of the walls, the Israelites won, yay, happy ending. The religiously correct world of our day would advise me, Eddie, a good place to stop. Because if you tell the rest of the story, 
it's not going to be attractive to the generation of our world today. But the story, it doesn't end here. Even though we would be more comfortable with a sanitized version of just ending it now. So here, here's what I, my question is. What happened to the inhabitants of Jericho after the walls fell? Did they run away quickly? Did they throw up the surrender flags and subject themselves to the Israelites? They said, oh, Israelites, we're so sorry. We love you. Let's be friends. We learn the fate. You read the second half. I'm just going to touch on a couple of verses here. We learn of the fate in the second half of this chapter. We read in verse 21, then they devoted, in, excuse me, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Now, what do you mean devoted? You see, early, earlier we read, like, when you go into Jericho, bring home no souvenirs, all right? No spoils of war. I want you taking absolutely no survivors, no prisoners, nothing for yourselves. You see, what's that all about? Because that's not the same with the other cities. Jericho was the first city they were going to take. And so everything associated with Jericho was to be an offering of their first fruits to God. And we're going to see in the next chapter a very hard story of someone who said, I get that, I hear that, but I think I'm going to take just this. No one will ever know. Oh boy, don't operate on that, all right? You'll learn that as we go into, into the next chapter. But my question now is, what does it mean? How did they devote the people of Jericho to the Lord? Let's look at this again. Because sometimes we like just to read through things real quickly because, ooh, I don't like that, let's move on. It says, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Do you see that? Do you hear that? God sent his people to battle armed with swords and they killed every inhabitant in Jericho, all the men, all the women, young and old, even the donkeys. See why it'd be a lot easier to stop earlier? How do you preach the Bible faithfully and just leave that out? What do you, what do, you do with that? And here's the problem. Ooh, just read that and move on. You're going to see it again in Joshua. And you go, oh. And then you're going to see it again in Joshua. It's this, it's this elephant in Joshua's room that we want to ignore, but it's too big to ignore. And it's not just in the book of Joshua. It's such a big deal. It's so hard to process we're actually, I can't remember when we're going to, I got this scheduled. We're going to spend a whole Sunday just trying to wrap our brains around how do you process that with the God that we know, the God of love. And, and there are, I think I got five or six answers to that. So let me just, I don't know if this is fair or not, briefly touch on it, okay? 
You can wrestle with it. We're going we're gonna to come back to it. As we see here in the second half of Joshua 6, the destruction of Jericho and its people, that's not all that we see. We also see, and you see this in the next verse, that Joshua sends the two spies, that one had been there earlier, to go in after Rahab and get Rahab and her family and to pull them out. And it says there, um, yeah, in that verse, that Joshua saved her alive. So we see here a snapshot of a larger biblical theme of judgment and salvation that's also in the New Testament. We can't say Old Testament only, Old Testament God, that's not what we see in the New Testament. That is not proper, accurate, biblical interpretation. But notice in this story, while there is judgment upon sin, and it's painful to read, and it should be, we shouldn't go, yeah, I've got those people. No, it should hurt. God's greater desire in this story, his greater purpose was that all in Jericho would be saved, to save from Jericho all whose hearts would be would turn to him by faith. And if you know the larger story, for 400 years they had been granted the opportunity to turn to him. All of them had seen and experienced everything that Rahab had seen and experienced. But they had defied and rejected to the point of hardness of their hearts. And I believe that the purpose here in the story of Joshua wasn't just, let's get this land and run these people out of here and destroy them. The purpose was to take this land, a land that had been originally given to them, and re-inhabit it with God's people so this land would be a geographical location, a geographical center from which the light of God's people would reach the world for Christ. The purpose of this story in Jericho wasn't, let's just rid ourselves of these people, it was to storm Jericho and to save this woman Rahab and her family so that God through Rahab if you know the story would bring Christ into the world. Matthew 1 she, Jesus was, came from the family of Rahab so that God through Jesus would save the world and rescue people from the coming destruction and judgment. That's what God is at here. Salvation. But it comes on the heels of a very painful aspect of judgment. That's also at play. And while it's painful to read and consider God's judgment upon the world for sin, which I believe we see a reflection of here in the story of Jericho, let's let that pain bother us. Let's let that pain so burn in our hearts that we storm the Jerichos of our world And rescue the Rahabs out of darkness and coming judgment. Church, Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, we are an offensive force. We are called to storm the gates of hell. And those gates cannot prevail against his church. Our enemy is defeated. And we are called to storm the gates of hell. To rescue those held captive by the forces of darkness. Here's the point. Insurmountable walls of impossibility come down when we selflessly, sacrificially, and courageously embrace God's mission for the church to make disciples of all nations. May we hear that 
from this story. And then the story ends. It's very interesting in verse 26. It says, Joshua laid an oath on them at the cost, excuse me, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its new gates. Go to 1 Corinthians 16, 34 and a guy by the name Heal said, I think I'm gonna rebuild Jericho and he lost his firstborn son. And that passage refers back to Joshua's promise here. Isn't it crazy how we rebuild what God brought down for us in our lives? How we return to that which God has delivered us from. In just one month, I've attended two different funerals of two different men whom God had brought down unbelievable walls in their lives. He had delivered them from incredible bondage. And they rebuilt those walls and it destroyed their lives. So as we close, let me ask you this. What are the Jerichos in your life or maybe in the lives of others that God is saying, you need to face it and it needs to be conquered? What are the insurmountable walls of impossibility that need to come down in your life? What are they? And I'm just trusting as I ask the Holy Spirit is, is, is helping you know that answer. Are you sitting around waiting for God to do something? Are you again and again following your own way and thus finding yourself in continued stagnation, failure, and defeat? I think it's interesting that as there's a really interesting parallel. As the book of Joshua, the victory was to be pronounced with a loud shout Blow the trumpets. We see that this book is pointing to Jesus. And the good news is that God through Christ and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's done his part. Our victory over this world and sin, it's given. It's ours. And as we read the story of God's people as they with a shout and sounded the trumpets. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 of our promised salvation with Jesus returns. It will come with a great shout and the sound of a trumpet. Our victory, your victory is given. The question is, have you taken it? Are you living by it? And are you extending it to others? As awkward and as foolish as it may seem to the world and as awkward and as foolish as it may seem to you. Will you march? Will you march? And in what way is God calling you to march today with fearless courage 
to bring down your walls of impossibility. Let's stand and let's ask him to answer that prayer. Father, I've been doing a lot of talking, although I really hope it was your spirit and not me, but we really want to listen. And we understand that we don't always have to be talking to be praying. And so in this moment of prayer, we offer this psalm, but we also, in the quietness of this moment, ask you to speak to us by your spirit. Show us what our Jerichos are. Show us what those walls are. Help us to know and understand how you're calling us to march and give us the fearless courage to do so, we pray. We offer this time to you now in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.